So, um, so for today's reflections for the Dharma talk, I'd like to talk about gladness, uplift, happiness as as a part, as the fabric, not just as the destination of our practice, but also as the fabric of our practice, as part of the path, indistinguishable. So that's the thesis for, for the talk. So practice, meditation practice, is not a grim duty, is not this heavy, okay, I have to meditate, I have to practice, or I do it with this seriousness. Um, It is so important. It is so important that you shouldn't take yourself so seriously doing it. Let there be ease. Let there be uplift. And we actually notice on retreats as the days go by, there's a lightness of heart that happens um, for for all practitioners, for the yogis. And you might notice, you might start to notice that in, in yourself there's a loosening, there's a letting go that happens as part of the practice. But instead of waiting for it to happen naturally, let's bring that in. That practice, not to do this practice as something that creates suffering, that creates more pain, the way we go about it, the way we're so tight about it, or the way we measure ourselves, or the way we um, evaluate ourselves, or judge ourselves internally. Oh, that person, oh, look at them. They're sitting like a rock. They haven't moved, and I'm moving all the time. I'm a bad practitioner. I need to be more serious. I need to do this, do that. It's okay. Be gentle. Be kind. Let let ease, let uplift be part of the practice. The Buddha, the Buddha was known as the happy one. He wasn't known as the serious one. He was known as the happy one, as the enlightened one, as the happy one. And, and it is said in one of the teachings, actually, the Buddha says that peace is the highest happiness. Peace is the highest bliss. It's been translated in two different ways. So peace is the highest bliss. So we, when we talk about happiness, gladness, there's so many different flavors, as I'll talk about um, a little more today. Gladness, happiness, uplift, joy, bliss, etc. All of those as the fabric of the path. So, so what do we do? This practice that we do, this sitting and walking, this mindfulness, this vipassana practice that we do it has a destination it has there is a there is a goalless goal because if we emphasize the goal too much then we all get so tight but there is a destination there is a destination just like the river the destination of the river is the ocean the destination of this practice is freedom is nibbana nirvana freedom, liberation, awakening. There is a destination. And that destination is also another way to translate or or feel into the destination is freedom from dukkha, freedom from suffering. I'll come back to that translation of the word dukkha, often as suffering, but that's not the only translation. So the Buddha has said, 
that I teach. I only teach two things. All I teach is dukkha and the end of dukkha. All I teach is dukkha and the end of dukkha. All I teach is dukkha and freedom from dukkha. Peace, happiness, the highest bliss. So these two are part of the fabric of our practice. You can't have one without the other. As Diana was beautifully pointing to, you can't turn just towards happiness, just want gladness, bliss, and that, oh, I don't want this this suffering bit. I make it go away. No, the only way is through. The only way is through. And in fact, being with what is difficult, what is challenging, what is hard. There is an uprightness, there is a gladness, there is a joy, there is a delight to actually face and be with what is difficult instead of running away from it, make it go away, make it bitter, I don't want to face this, I don't want to grow through this. There is actually a joy, there is a delight, there is a goodness. You know this, you know this goodness, you've tasted it, you've experienced how good it feels to actually be with what's difficult, with stability, with kindness to yourself. Oh yeah, there is a gladness, right? There's a subtle joy in being with what's difficult. So I want to talk a little bit about dukkha, because you can't have one without the other. They're both really intertwined, joy and sorrow. So this word dukkha, often translated as suffering, but it's not just suffering. There's so many different nuances to to the word dukkha. And the Buddhist scholar, Glenn Wallace, has a nice um, scale, scale, increasing scale of intensity, the following colorings of English terms. And this is from an article that he wrote in Lion's Roar called, What is Dukkha? So here is the, here are the words going from less intensity to higher intensity. Translations for Dukkha, starting with faint unsettledness, right? Familiar? A faint unsettledness or something kind of not quite right, or don't know what it is. Faint unsettledness, irritation, impatience, annoyance, frustration, disappointment, dissatisfaction. That's a nice, big, vague one, just dissatisfaction, aggravation, tension. Stress, now it's getting more juicy, stress, anxiety, vexation, pain, desperation, sorrow, sadness, suffering, misery, agony, anguish. Quite a range, right? quite a range of various experiences of being human, starting with, as he relates to it, faint unsettledness to anguish. Quite a range. 
Ajahn Chah reportedly has said, attributed to him, that there are two types of suffering. Two types of suffering. One is suffering that leads to more suffering. And the other is suffering that leads to the end of suffering. That's interesting, right? Ah, What makes the difference? So it's suffering that leads to more suffering is how we deal with it. It's how we work with it. It's, it's really how our mind works with it or how our mind interprets it. So with suffering that leads to, to more suffering, there's another teaching that I want to bring in here and it's the teaching of the, the two arrows that the Buddha has taught in his sutta that if, you, if there is one arrow that hits you, one arrow... And and one arrow is what life gives you. Maybe there's physical pain, something challenging, something difficult, a loss. And often we add extra arrows. We, we beat ourselves with extra arrows. Why me? Why did this happen to me? I can't deal with this. This is terrible. It will never end. It's awful. It's the end of my life. I'll never be happy. This is awful. It's just me. Etc. 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 We add all these second arrows. So that suffering is that's the first type that Ajahn Chah talks about, right? Suffering that leads to more suffering because our minds are adding mo- many, many, many more arrows. Why me? The but the second type, the suffering that leads to the end of suffering, is is the dukkha that we actually work with. There's a sense of, oh yes. Yes, can I be with this? Can I have a sense of stability? Can I have a sense of equanimity? Can I have kindness towards myself, towards others? Can I be with this in my body, in my heart? Can I be with this? Can I expand my heart, my ability, my perspective to be with this? What can I learn from this? How can I be with this? How can I grow through this? So there is an uprightness, there is a courage, there is a beauty of being with what is, facing it, learning from it. And that produces growth, produces strength, produces awakening freedom, so that the conditions may still be there, the waves are still there. But we learn to say, surf the waves. We learn... to have freedom in the midst of suffering. The conditions might still be the same, but our hearts shift and change. The noise might still be outside. There might still be that construction noise, but it doesn't drive us mad anymore. It's like, oh, it's another sound. It's just another sound. It's just another sound. In fact, sometimes it can turn, our minds can turn and see it as beautiful music. That reminds me, um, I was on retreat here at IRC years ago, and there was, I don't know what was happening in the field across here, but it was loud. It was loud and it went on for hours 
don't know if it was construction or or cutting trees. It was loud. And at first my mind was, wow, this is loud. And and then my mind started to shift. I started to be with it and 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 do um the practice of um the second um second satipatthana which is which is vedana which is seeing the feeling tones pleasant unpleasant and neutral like oh yeah okay unpleasant unpleasant i see it's unpleasant just seeing it seeing it and then start to shift the mind started to 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 label the same loud obnox quote unquote obnoxious what it was labeling as obnoxious started to sound really mellifluous these chainsaws started to sound mellifluous to my ear it's just how the mind is perceiving something and so much flexibility can be there we are all capable of this there's nothing special about my mind nothing it's just the practice it's this practice that shapes you changes you when you are with it when you are instead of running away make it stop make the chainsaw stop no okay i'm gonna be with it i'm gonna be present i'm gonna pay attention to it instead of being caught up in dukkha frustration annoyance disappointment i have this wonderful list of love to pull from now vexation pain desperation sorrow sadness like there's so many responses our minds can have right to what we label as unpleasant can actually if you be with it there is this pleasantness oh gladness right so there is now that gladness that delight in the midst of the challenge not just because oh yes i am being with this there's a sense of trust there's a sense of faith there is a trust that yeah i this being who's me can be with this i'm not driven to desperation just because of some sounds or whatever it might be and and then the mind can shift and change its relationship it's not in despair or sadness or or whatever it is it's actually gladness oh wow this sounds like the most beautiful music i've ever heard this is wild this is interesting well, thank you mind right there's that gladness in the midst of what was dukkha because we can be there and meet it and there's a sense of yeah trust faith confidence gladness in our own goodness in our own capacity in our own buddha nature so now gladness or happiness or uplift or using so many different terms because there's so many nuances to it. There are different types of happiness. And different ways this could be divided. So the first way I'm going to divide the pie is what's called in especially in psychology, it's referred to two different sorts of happiness or pleasure. Hedonism, hedonism, or eudaimonia. Eudaimonia, eudaimonia. So hedonism and eudaimonia. Eudaimonia. So 
hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure and it is the immediate happiness that arises when we get something we like, often food or some sense pleasure, some sense pleasure usually externally that we get, or something that we, um, when we avoid something we don't like, right? It's kind of external. So reading, playing video games, or whatever it might be, your favorite food. And eudaimonia refers to the gladness, the happiness that arises from, it's, it's more internal. It arises from pursuing something that we consider meaningful, meaningful activity, or something that we consider um, as a part of our growth or part of our values or part of our sense of purpose in life. So there's this sense of eudaimonic happiness, internal happiness. For example, when you help a friend, when you are generous to someone, when you're kind, there's there's a gladness, there's an internal gladness, right? When you've had, say, a goal, a wholesome goal, and it's aligned with your life purpose, and you show up for yourself or for others in that way. Oh yeah, there's there's a sense of gladness, internal gladness. Eudaimonia. So it turns out that, and, and many re- psychologists have researched this, that Hedonism, hedonistic happiness, often sense pleasures and externally. When we get what we want, it leads to wanting more of what we want for us to be to have the same level of happiness. And many of you might have heard of the hedonic treadmill. Hedonic treadmill being you imagine you're on the treadmill, you're not going anywhere, right? You just want, there's more and more and more. So the, say, the, the, the food that made you happy, but you want more of it now, or the fame or the money, so it's never enough. It's the never enough. It's never enough. So psychologically and also with the studies, you need more and more and more of the same thing. And also drugs too. There is, there is a sense of um, um, habituation, the brain, the mind, the heart, they become habituated to a particular level. Now you need more. Big house. Okay, now you need a bigger house to be happier. There's a sense of never enough. It's the hedonic treadmill. Hedonic treadmill. Whereas with eudaimonia, there is, there is much less of that. There is much less of that, according to research. So that's one thing to be aware of about hedonism. It's, it's a sense of, it's like chasing happiness. It's a chasing happiness that's, that's, you can never find that kind of happiness when it's external, when you're ch- chasing happiness. Oh, career. Well, okay, now what? I've got the career I wanted. Okay, now what? Okay, next one, next, next. It's never enough. So so hedonism, the, the problem with it, it can lead to, to the uh, hedonic treadmill. So being aware of that. 
Whereas eudaimonia, there can be a more internal sense of satisfaction. However, we don't want to completely diss hedonic pleasures or hedonic happiness or gladness. It's not, we're not saying, oh, it's bad, don't do that, don't enjoy your food, don't enjoy the the sunrise or the sunset or the birds or the rabbits. No, absolutely not. Enjoy. And, And Buddhism usually gets a bad rap, by the way. So pay attention. Buddhism gets a bad rap as an anti-pleasure, anti-delight tradition. No. Feel free to enjoy. Feel free to enjoy your food, your tea, the sunrise, the grounds, the, the goodness. Feel free to enjoy it completely while knowing that it passes that it is impermanent. So feel free to enjoy, but don't cling to it. What brings, the, brings on the, the suffering is clinging to it, like wanting more. I want more. But actually enjoying it without clinging to it allows your heart to be refreshed, nourished. It's like when you're tired, you need rest, care, or you take a bath if your muscles are tight. Ah, nice, great. There's refreshing. And you have more space now to be with what's difficult, to be with what is challenging. So not as a way to, to tune out. So pleasure, not as a way to... Hedonic pleasure, or even eudaimonic pleasure, not as a way to tune out to suffering, like, oh, I I just don't want to deal with all the challenging stuff, I just want to take baths and, you know, hang out with what's pleasant. Hanging out with what's pleasant and taking baths so that you have the capacity to be more present for your life, to be upright and, and have the capacity to be present or what may be challenging for you, for others, to grow through it. So as a way to resource and nourish yourself without tuning out and without attaching to it. But there's no problem enjoying what is. So so say, if I really like this striker. I really like this striker. If I was clinging to it and holding it so hard, actually it would stop bringing me pleasure because I, my knuckles would get white and just uh, clinging around anything, anything that brings you joy and delight is a sure way to have suffering. Whereas, oh, I like this striker. It's very helpful and useful. It gives me delight when I ring the bell. But hold it with an open hand, knowing that it comes, it goes, it's, it's lovely, it's wonderful while it's here makes me happy, and yeah. And now it's put down. You put it down, and it's okay. It's served its purpose. So then, if we follow the same formula that Ajahn Chah had regarding the two types of suffering, the suffering that leads to more suffering, and the suffering that leads to the end of suffering, Now we can cut the pie of 
pleasure or gladness and happiness in the same way. We can say there is happiness that leads to happiness and there is happiness that leads to suffering. And that has to do with the relationship of your mind. So, actually, I should put the order the same way so, if, so that if Arjun Shah says there is suffering that leads to more suffering, actually, I guess, yeah, it can go either way, but anyway. Um, happiness that leads to more happiness is the kind of happiness that you, both both the eudaimonic happiness, the internal happiness, like, oh yes, it was felt so good to be generous, to be kind, to to be mindful, to be present. Wow, that that's, that is lovely. It can lead to more. And also, hedonic pleasure, oh yes, nourishing, fulfilling, nice, and letting go, knowing that it's pleasant. It's pleasant and it's impermanent. So that could be the happiness, the pleasure, the gladness that leads to more gladness. And now if we cling, if we cling to either of those, whether hedonic or eudaimonic. Oh, I want more of that. I want more concentration. It felt so good that I was concentrated and my mind was still and don't you dare make a noise in that corner of the room. I'm concentrating here. Ooh, that bliss has now become, the bliss of concentration, of a settled mind, has become a source of suffering because we're so clinging to it. And similarly, Hedonic pleasure, if you want more of the same. Oh, that soup last night was so good. I wonder if there are leftovers or there was a cookie. Oh, somebody took the last cookie here. I want more. I want a bigger this because it becomes the source, this hedonic pleasure. Definitely, very easily, hedonic pleasure becomes the source of suffering. So now I want to switch and talk about how, um, I'm going to pause for a moment. So before I switch, I want to just say that having made the point that suffering, or actually let me use the word dukkha, because there's so many variations of the word, so many striations, variations of the word. That dukkha and happiness, dukkha and delight, pleasure, are intertwined. As I made many, many examples, they're not separate from one another. Joy and sorrow. And really how we show up, the relationship of our mind the relationship of our mind, our perspective, our attitude, determines the outcome. So having made that point, now I want to move to another point I want to bring up, elucidate, and that is that these beautiful states of of delight, gladness, joy, rapture, tranquility, bliss, happiness, concentration. These beautiful states are part of the path towards liberation. So there are 
many different suttas, there are multiple suttas, teachings of the Buddha, where a particular formula shows up, where the Buddha is teaching, and I'll mention one of them and then mention the similarities. So there is a teaching called Liberative Dependent Arising, and in liberative dependent arising, you might have heard about uh, dependent arising or dependent origination, which talks about how the suffering, you know, there are 12 links of dependent arising or dependent origination, different translations. There are 12 links and how we continue to suffer and stay in samsara and over and over and over again. Yeah, dependent origination, like, oh gosh, okay. How, our, how suffering continues, continues. Now there is another teaching I'm talking about liberative, liberative dependent arising. So also has 12 links, 12 steps, but these 12 steps actually instead of continuing and perpetuating dukkha and more dukkha and more dukkha, they actually, they change direction and they go towards liberation, towards nibbana, awakening. And it's quite a beautiful shift, instead of being stuck in the loop, it just moves and goes up. So where it starts from, this teaching starts from, the first link is actually suffering, is dukkha. The first step is, is dukkha. And then the second part, the second is actually sada or faith. So the teaching here is that if there is suffering, and this is a type of suffering that, that leads to the end of suffering, so if we meet, if we meet our dukkha with presence, if we meet it with spaciousness, capacity, stability, curiosity, interest, ease, then there is a sense of confidence or faith or stability, trust, I like this translation of sada better. Trust, the sense of trust arises in ourselves. Yeah, I can do this. There's a capacity here. Wow, there's a beautiful capacity I didn't even know I had. I didn't know I could be with this challenge or difficulty. Wow, there is a trust. There's a trust that arises. And I've seen this in so many practitioners. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in practitioner friends, I've seen it in so many students and practitioners who report in practice meetings that, you know, that difficult thing I had, I I stayed with it. And wow, it changed, it transformed, and now I have this trust that this is possible. This is possible. I can be with what's difficult. Wow. So, faith, sada, trust, in oneself arises as the second step. So first step again in this teaching, liberative dependent arising. First is dukkha. Dukkha arises. Inevitable. Dukkha arises for everyone. You're human. You'll have dukkha. Sooner or later. Anyone not have dukkha? Anyone? Okay. Dukkha arises and how we relate to it. So in this liberative dependent arising again, we're being with it. We're showing up with it. We're and then we discover our capacity, the sense of faith, confidence, trust, sada arises, step two. And that leads to, 
that leads to pamaja. Pamaja translated as delight or gladness. And you know this, right? You know this for yourself. When there's a sense of gladness, and there's a sense of trust, and like, wow, yeah, it's, I thought this would be impossible, but I, w- I was with it, and it shifted, and I had never been with that kind of dukkha before, and you know, something opens up. Practitioners are delighted, right? There's a delight. Wow, this is a sense of confidence. You know this. You know this, don't you? If you've been practicing for any length of time, you know this. You know this. There's a sense of gladness that arises. And that gladness, Pamuja, leads to, it matures, it ripens when we continue to practice in this way. It ripens into piti. In Pali, piti, translated as joy or as rapture. There's a sense of joy, there's a sense of gladness, there's a sense of joy really can feel really uplifting. This is really a sense of uplift here. PT tends to be really uplifting, uplifts the heart sense of uplift in the heart shows up. And piti, this uplift, this joy, this sense of rapture, then matures into tranquility, or in Pali, pasadi. Pasadi, there's a sense of tranquility of the heart and mind from all of these steps. And this sense of tranquility, which is a sense of calm, peace, just, ah, the heart and mind relaxing, the heart and mind relaxing, leads to, matures into sukha, translated as bliss or happiness. There are different flavors, different ways. And sukha also related to the word sugar, sweetness. There's this sweetness of just bliss, of Oh, wow, this is so lovely. This is so wonderful. Just a deep, nourishing happiness. Definitely eudaimonic. Definitely internal. And that sukha, that bliss, happiness, that sweetness, matures into, creates the conditions for samadhi. The mind really settling into concentration, stability, stillness, quiet. Just delicious stability of mind. And that stability of mind, concentration, when the mind is really stable, is able to see, really able to see things as they are, able to see clearly with a lot of stability, completely rooted, seeing becomes well-rooted. And at that point, so the five that I just mentioned, they're also known as the happiness, gladness, pentad, the delight, the pamuja, piti, pasadi, sukha, samadhi, delight, gladness, joy, rapture, tranquility, bliss or happiness, sweetness and concentration. So these five, I'll come back to this in a moment, but 
But in this particular teaching of liberative dependent arising, then when the mind is really stable and concentrated, the mind can see things as they are, knowledge and vision, and that's step eight. And then there are a few more steps, nine, 10, 11, 12, and those are the steps of towards liberation, the mind becoming liberated, seeing things as they are, letting go, disenchantment, dispassion, emancipation, which is freedom, and knowing that it's been freed. So these steps, I'm going through it rather these steps quickly because that's not the focus of this talk here. The, the focus of this talk is I want to point out that these beautiful states, the five beautiful states I mentioned, rapture and joy and sweetness, they're not like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's after I get liberated or it's like for later. Like actually, this is part of practice. It's part of the path towards liberation. It's not a luxury. It's part of the path. We need to, to cultivate, to become familiar with these states. And becoming familiar with them doesn't mean that you go look after them and seek them. Why don't I have happiness? If they come up when you're meeting, when you're, when you're cultivating stability to be with what's difficult, right? But not turning away to gladness when you see it. To turn towards it, to recognize it. To recognize it, not to completely tune it out, not just to tune into suffering and anxiety and and disappointment and what was the first one? The, the faint unsettledness. We're perfectly tuned to all of those. We've got those down. We've got our radars out. But what if we actually also tuned to what's pleasant, what's what's good right now? Not to be seeking in a wanting way. Oh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Like, oh, actually, it's already here. There is so much goodness to be sitting on this retreat. What, what bliss. How awesome to have this opportunity. Or how wonderful if you're sitting and there's no pain in your body. Wow, how amazing to be sitting without pain. Or if there is pain, maybe there's a part of your body that doesn't have pain. Okay, my feet, yeah, pretty good. Nice. Ah, my back, not so good, but that's okay. I'm not going to tune tune there. But the feet are, yeah, the hands feel really nice. The temperature is pretty comfortable. And actually, there's a sense of ease right now. Tuning into, tuning into what is, what is good in order to help it grow in order to help it grow. Whatever we, we water, whatever seeds we water, they will grow. So if you're watering seeds of discontent, guess what grows? If you keep turning your mind towards it, looking, okay, where's discontent, where's pain, what's, what's difficult, what's not good at IRC, like, what's the problem, what's the issue, like, you're going to find it. Of course you're going to find it because you're looking for it. Look for what's wholesome, what's wonderful, what's what's supportive, what's beautiful, what's here already. So if I asked you right now to look for a color green, 
around and see all the color green you didn't see before. There's a lot of color green. Because now you're tuned into color green. You're going to see more and more green. and more and Oh yeah, there's so much. Okay. Now tune to color red. Oh, I hadn't seen all that red there. There's a lot of red. Right? So whatever we tune into, we start to see more and more of. So tune into the gladness, the goodness, the the pamoja, the delight, the gladness that arises. The joy, the rapture, the sweetness, the bliss, the happiness. Because these are part these are important parts of liberation, part the path of liberation. It's and this recipe, these twelve steps, it's not poetry. These are actually specific instructions that the Buddha gives. And practicing with these specific instructions, how our practice unfolds towards liberation. These are specific steps that we need to go through. The maturing of, of PT, joy, rapture, of, of bliss, sukha, happiness. These need to mature. So if we have no idea what they are, when they come up in our practice, we're kind of confused. Like, am I supposed to feel good? Is the practice supposed to be pleasant? I thought I just had to be with dukkha and more dukkha. Like, no, 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 no. So, so this retreat is an intervention. <laughs> it's an intervention for the bad rap that perhaps the Buddhism gets. And there are many, many practitioners, unfortunately, also who feel like, yeah, you're not supposed to feel gladness or delight. This is all about being with suffering. This is what the Buddha teaches, these steps. And what's also beautiful is that these five, this this pentad, this these five happiness pentad, gladness pentad, pamoja, piti, pasadi, sukha, samadhi, they show up in multiple suttas, multiple suttas, where the entry point might be different. So here in the liberative dependent arising, the entry point is, is dukkha and sada, suffering and confidence. And then the next uh, five steps are, you know, leading to liberation. So in different suttas, the entry point is different. The five show up, and then liberation. So entry point might be different, but then the same pattern shows up. So you can enter from different ways, but it's the same path. It's still cultivating the joy and gladness and rapture and happiness and sukha and leading to the steps. So there's another... Sutta, for example, um, Kimatiya Sutta, Anguttara Nikaya 10.1, where the starting point is actually uh, Kusalani Silani, ethical behavior. starts from ethical behavior, really ethical. Then it leads to, the second step is non-regret. Non-regret. There's this, oh, non-regret. You're not, there's no regrets. And that non-regret then leads to pamoja, which is delight, gladness, right? We know this. When, yeah, you could have told a lie, but you didn't. Oh, there's such a gladness. Wow, restraint. There's this gladness of the heart that arises from ethical behavior, non-regret, gladness. So that's one entry point. Um, another sutta, 
the entry point is unwavering confidence in in the triple jewel. And last night we talked about the triple jewel taking refuge in the triple jewel, Rajma Nikaya 7. That's the entry point. And again, the pentad shows up, the five, and then the, the liberation, etc. And a couple of other places too. So, these gladnesses, these happinesses are part of our practice, are, are part of the path to liberation. So as we practice here on this retreat, and this is your first full day of retreat, and we have a technical term, it's, it's like you're in the. Um, have you have any of you felt heavy or sleepy today? Anyone? Show of hands. Anyone? Yeah, there we are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like being in the bog, like stuck, like oh, heavy, sleepy. So it's part of getting into the the rhythm. So as we're as you're practicing here and and making friends, befriending yourself, befriending whatever is arising with the flow of the retreat, flow of this body, there is a gladness. There's this wholesomeness to be with what is, with curiosity, with interest kindness, mindfulness, sati, having all these beautiful qualities, and the pushing it away, hating it, make it go away, but being with it, gladness arises, gladness. And also, there is so much goodness right here. There is so much goodness. So you can turn to, the, to goodness, that is. So much goodness. Um, so much goodness. Recollecting your own goodness can be one of them. Recollecting your own good fortune, recollecting your own goodness. And we'll talk a lot more about this in the future talks. But just to plant that seed, to recollect goodness, to turn your mind, your heart, to what is good, to what is good, the body, in, in your life, in, in your practice, just turn towards the good. Recollecting your own goodness, your own humility, your gratitude, kindness, so much goodness, so much goodness. Service, service. So, I'll end with this poem from Mary Oliver. There's there's more I have always. I tend to have more than my... talk when I end, but I'm just going to end with this with this poem. The name of the poem is Don't Hesitate, and let it wash over you. So don't hesitate. If you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate. Give in to it. There are plenty of lives and whole towns destroyed or about to be. We are not wise, and not very often kind. 
and much can never be redeemed. Still, life has some possibility left. Perhaps this is its way of fighting back, that sometimes something happened better than all the riches or power in the world. It could be anything, but very likely you notice it in the instant when love begins. Anyway, that's often the case. Anyway, whatever it is, don't be afraid of its plenty. Joy is not made to be a crumb. I love this line. Joy is not made to be a crumb. It's not made to be small and insignificant. Let joy be large. Let it fill your heart. And the moment love begins, it can be the moment love begins for yourself. Kindness, love, metta, generosity. Metta is love, as kindness, loving kindness. Love begins, kindness begins. That moment, let there be joy. Let's just sit together and let the word settle. Thank you for your kind attention.